this morning, some of you will not be at all surprised to know, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Because we're talking about resurrection. <clears throat> and it's central to the stories of the Gospel. It's central to the writings of Paul and the other letters we've got. But I don't really know what it means. It's central to the Christian church. Both of our famous creeds, the ancient Apostles' Creed and the slightly less ancient Nicene Creed, both have the words Christ, to quote it properly, on the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's the Apostles' Creed. The Nicene says on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's been central to the way we've talked about what it means to be a Christian all the way through the life of the church. If Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. But what do we do with it? What does it actually mean? Is it something we just say in the creeds and we... we uh, we say the creeds quite rarely in this congregation and most United Churches don't use it very much, but in some churches it's said every time the, the, the faithful gather. Is it something you just sort of tick off, say, yes, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that, done? Or is it something we sort of gloss over because it's really strange and disconcerting? And anyway, how does it fit today? In Paul's world, it's quite clear from this text and quite a few others that the idea of whether or not people who had died would be raised up to life at some point. In some experiences it was the idea that at some point there would come an end of time and all the dead would rise up. In others, uh, dead people rise up at various different times uh, because of the prayers of the faithful or certain incantations that were that were said in the in particular temples. There were all kinds of understandings, but but it was a live issue, and clearly it's a live issue in the life of the Corinthians because Paul argues for it, saying that if those some in the community are saying that dead people don't come back to life, they're not raised up. And if that's true, then Jesus was dead and Christ was raised up. So that couldn't be true either. And there's this ongoing debate, but it's not something we actually care much about. When was the last time you sat over coffee with someone debating this? Just, it's not part of modern life, so it's really hard to know what to do with it. I mean, one of the big debates in our time is climate change. It's difficult to refute that it's happening, but some people are still willing to argue that human beings have not had much to do with it. And you could have that conversation pretty much anywhere that you wanted to. It might turn to you know, arguments and blows after a while if you're not careful, but, uh, but that's a live conversation for us. That's something we, we're thinking about all the time. And so when a terrible storm happens, um, maybe 50 years ago it was a terrible storm. Now it's a terrible storm plus we're wondering whether it's the harbinger of some kind of experience that we're never going to be able to get away from with, with the changing climate. So it's live in our minds in a way that this would have been live in the minds of the first century people. Christians, non-Christians, from all different religions. We don't know much about the resurrection from what Paul says. 
because he's working on the assumption that we're already talking about it all the time. This is a letter. This isn't his magnum, magnus opus. It's not the, the, the book he wanted to write before he died so that everybody would know everything he understood about the way the world was and the way God was working in the world. It's a quick letter written to a bunch of people where, where we've got two of the letters. Uh, both letters seem to indicate that there, was, there may have been one before and there's certainly going to come one afterwards from, from what Paul says. So it's, we've just got bits of the correspondence and we don't have any letters back from the Corinthians or any idea what they're thinking. So we have to pick apart what Paul might have meant. The first thing we can know for sure is that Paul isn't talking about people coming back to life in the way that we often might think about it. It's not the idea that a person is dead and then the same person is somehow miraculously not dead anymore. If you want to encapsulate it, Paul seems to be saying that when somebody dies, something can happen that a new life begins. Not the same life continued, stopped just for a period and then it started again. In the life of Jesus, he was dead for three days and then he was Jesus again and it all just came, carried on. Paul is not saying that at all. Somehow he's saying that something stops, which we, will happen to all of us, and then something new Begins, And we get that in the Gospels. Because when we read the last bit of the Gospels, they're completely different from the first bit. The first bit is about a man called Jesus doing the things that human beings do. He does miraculous things according to the Gospels. But he generally is a normal human being. But as soon as there's this thing called the resurrection, Jesus appears. So he does... And, and, it's not even clear what the Greek words mean by appear. It's, it seems like it's a different kind of appearing than when I appear in front of you on a Sunday morning or when you appear in front of the mirror in the morning and go, oh my God, what's going on here? Um, it's, it's a different kind of appearing. It's a, and and the, the, Greeks are so, the Greek words are sort of quite ambivalent. And in fact, it's so weird that when Jesus... this. Jesus seems to come back in some form. Nobody recognises him. These are people who have lived with him for three years. He's only been gone three days. He comes back and they can't figure out who he is. Who is this person? He seems to have sort of strange ability to kind of be present and not present. He seems to be able to walk through walls and disappear at will. It's a different kind of experience. And I think Paul, aware of those stories understands that something new has happened, not the same old thing. So it's not coming back to life, it's coming to new life, whatever that means. <clears throat> and then he says, earlier on in this actual chapter that we just read a bit of, he says that um, Paul, uh, that Jesus, oh, and I'll get to this in a minute, he says Christ appears to the disciples, then he appeared to about 500 other people and he lists some of them, and then finally he appeared to me, the least of the apostles, he says. So the same word is used for this mystical kind of experience that the disciples had after the resurrection and the vision-like experience that we think Paul had when he was riding to Damascus and he fell off his horse, he was blinded by the light and he hears a voice. Clearly a kind of a vision-like experience. He's using the same word to explain his experience as he is to explain the experience of the disciples. So it's not straightforward. It's some kind of new experience. 
And the way Paul wants to talk about this is to use the word Christ, which is a, the Greek word for the coming one, the one who is arriving. The, the Hebrew word for that is Messiah. When Paul, all through Paul's letters, he sometimes mentions Jesus, but only a handful of times. Most of the time he's talking about Christ. Now, sometimes the, when we talk, we say Jesus Christ as if um, Christ is Jesus' last name. Um, but that's not true at all. It's, and what Paul is trying to do is saying what we're doing, dealing with here is two completely different experiences. One is the human being like you and I, and his name is Jesus. He came from Nazareth. He has parents. Then there's this unique experience in the world, as Paul understood it, of the arrival of what we might call the cosmic Christ, the sense where God is now present, was present in Jesus and is now somehow dissipated throughout the world in a new presence. Which is why Paul is really keen to say all of those barriers that we've put up between us and the divine or us and the ultimate meaning of the universe and us and other people, they don't exist anymore. They're just not real. The idea that there's a difference between Greeks or, or Gentiles and Jews. It's not real. The, the, the difference between male and female, it's not real. The difference between slave and free, it's not real. And he talks about this in a letter to the city of Galatia. There's a whole other experience that Paul is talking about. It's a universal experience of God. So in one sense you could say, well, Paul understood that God was uniquely present in the life of Jesus in a way that everyone that came across him recognised in some form or another and were either drawn to it, as the disciples were, or repelled by it, as some of the Jewish leaders were, and others probably. And that was that experience. But now there's the experience of somehow God present in all the world. One way of, of thinking about it is the way we think about what we're currently calling, and, and this is now in, in dispute again apparently, uh, the idea of the Big Bang. Um, there are now physicists saying it, it's an inadequate explanation for what possibly happened at the beginning of the universe. So we're constantly reforming and uh, retelling the story. But the idea of the Big Bang, of course, is that um, an, in, uh, an enormously powerful small amount of energy somehow explodes into everything and then everything that exists now is made up of the energy of that moment. So you say, well, where's the Big, big Bang now? It's here, sitting in these pews. It's here in these pews. It's here in the air. It's everything that exists is the Big Bang. It just has gone into everything. It's everywhere. And it's the energy of that that is animating the universe all the time. Paul is thinking about the resurrection as that kind of an experience, I reckon. There's a, it's a deep experience. You know, we often talk in, in the Christian church, and, and this is kind of unclear in the Bible too, the idea of eternal life. Some people think it means you just live forever. What Paul seems to be wanting to talk about with the idea of the Christ is that somehow there's this deep experience of the beingness of the universe, of being present, truly present in it, and it, it's deep and long. So eternal life isn't how long you live, it's, all, it, it's, it's expanding in all dimensions. So it's how deep you live, how high you live, if you like, how fully you are rounded. 
So when the Big Bang happened, it didn't go linear, it just went everywhere. And so it, in fact, created the dimensions. See, I told you I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm really, you know, like I'm on the edge of my grasp of English and I'm way past my grasp of physics and I'm a long way past my grasp of understanding Paul. But it's going in that direction. For Paul, resurrection meant at least two things. It meant a deep interconnectedness of all things. And he writes from that perspective from then on. Which is why he could no longer persecute the Christians. Because he had a very clear idea before this experience he had of the resurrection was that there were people in and there were people out. And it was very clear who was in and who was out. And his job was to police that boundary. And so he did it with a lot of great deal of energy. Um, we're doing it a great deal at the moment. Our parliament this week demonstrated in spades those who feel that they know what's right and what's wrong and the, and those boundaries should be policed. And they turned out to have lost. We now have a new law of the land that the government wasn't keen at all for us to have Things changed a little tiny bit, changed remarkably for some people. Their entire lives would change because of that one law. Those who really are genuinely sick and ill and need to be brought to Australia, those refugees. But it was a, it, 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 it's an understanding of this, the deep connectedness of everything. So Paul's saying that's what resurrection is. But he's also saying it's a connection into all of Everything, all of eternity is one way of describing it. All of the universe, somehow we are deeply connected forever. Now some of us might believe that that means that when we physically die, who we are, the, the kind of essence of who I am, which can't really be um, divorced from my body, but, but somehow that essence that we've often talked about as spirit or soul, that will live forever and I will, as an individual will continue. Some people say, well, no, there's nothing that, like that at all. What happens is that who you are dissolves into the earth and the earth uses you, your energy to cre create new things. You become brilliant fertiliser. And, of course, both those things could be true together. I have no idea which of those are true. But Paul wants us to believe that there's no end. It goes on and on. Somehow the energy that, it, it, that is, is us never ends, which at one level gives me a sense of relief because I've got heaps of things I want to get done and, you know, I'll be, if I'm lucky, I might get another 30 years. Well, it's no time at all and some of you are reckoning probably less than that and you might have heaps to do too. might give us a bit of pause and think, well, it's okay. I will do what I can and I will be present as I can be and then I'll be present in a different way when I stop being present in this way. Alright, that's, that's way enough to give anyone, any normal person a headache. I, I've slightly got one now because this is really revolutionary. But what we do know is that some experience that Paul had that he wanted everyone in the, the Corinthian congregation to have that he wrote to them was this deeper experience of life that is animating everyone all the time that he calls the Christ. So be it.